0: Hi, thanks for checking out this message from our River Valley Church family here in Boise, Idaho. We hope that it encourages and inspires you. For more messages, be sure to check out our other podcasts. For more content from River Valley, go to our website, rivervalleyboise.com. Enjoy this message. Well, good morning. Isn't it cool to see all those people declaring those truths in that video? I love the uh, I love the children. Those three up here, I don't know whose kids they were, but that might have been the cutest, most awesome thing I've ever seen. I don't know if you saw it while we were worshiping, but they were just into it. I love it. Um, totally not a part of the message, but the thing that's frightening to parenting about me is it's not worrying about what they listen to, but worrying about that they're always watching. So uh, I love that our children are in here watching us worship God and, and just... Just leading us in worship this morning, so uh, that's awesome. So anyways, we are in a True Identity series. If you are new here, my name is Zach. I'm so glad you're here. I see a lot of new faces, a lot of friends, and I'm glad you're here this morning. I believe God has something special for you this morning. Pastor Tim kicked off last week this series about finding our identity, our purpose, our calling, and really, really rooting that in Scripture in the book of Ephesians. He talked last week about being in Christ, That the single greatest thing that could unify us, that could identify us, that could give us meaning and purpose and calling is not anything else that we could say but that we are in Jesus. And I encourage you, if you missed that, go back and listen. He talked about how over 216 times in the New Testament, the words in Christ appear, and over 30 times in the book of Ephesians, the words in Christ appear. So go back and listen to that if you have not. But I want to read the text this morning. I am famous for reading a lot of Scripture and having boring, painful background in my messages. But I want you to know this morning... I've received your feedback, your, your awesome feedback, and we have, we have three verses to go through this morning, and they are all in the New Testament, and they're all out of one passage. Okay, wait. I just remembered. I actually have five verses. Okay, so Ephesians, you can turn to Ephesians chapter one. You can put a little uh, finger in Acts chapter 19. There's only two verses in Acts chapter 19, all right? So we are not going to have as much painful background today, but... Um, Uh, I know you'll miss it, so um, maybe next time. All right, Ephesians 1, verses 3 through 5. Let me read it for us this morning. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. Heavenly Father, we, we need to hear your truth this morning, God. We need to hear that we are chosen and adopted in love. And we want this morning, God, for those words and those truths to change our hearts that we may live lives as your sons and daughters, as sons and daughters of the one true King God, without anything to fear as we sing this morning, God. Be with us. Be glorified. Change us. Speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, a question for you. Get a little interactive this morning. How many of you guys remember being in elementary school, going out to the playground? Everyone remember some of that? Okay. And they're starting to pick teams for kickball. Who played kickball out there? Anybody? Okay, kickball's so great. I miss kickball. Let's go play some kickball. And you're getting out there and you pick two team captains, right? All right, And you got maybe 20 kids out there and they start to pick and they're picking you know, Bobby and Sally and Joe and he can kick it far and they're fast and it's great. But then it gets down to the last three or four kids. And full confession, some of you might think I was a good athlete, but it's sometimes I got down to those last three or four kids where I'm going, am I going to get picked last? Anyone been there? Am I going to get picked last? It's the most embarrassing thing to get picked last, right? No one sets out and go, you know, on the elementary school playground in third grade, I want to be picked last. Because we all have this innate desire to be chosen, to be wanted, to be valuable. And even in third grade, we have this. And that's something that we're going to unpack this morning, this idea of belonging. I remember as I grew up and this continued to manifest itself, I was always looking for somewhere where I could find my identity. And I found it through sports. And when I was a freshman in high school, we started, I started to play basketball and they were giving out basketball sweatshirts. I just wanted a basketball sweatshirt, but... It was three months until we were going to get another spirit order for those that are coaches and teachers, and we, we just, Nike was running behind, bummer on Nike, but they were running behind, and it was going to be three months. And I tell you what, I was counting down the days when I was going to get a shirt that said Capo Valley Christian Boys Basketball. And I kid you not, when I got that sweatshirt, I think I wore it for three months straight every day. My mom's over here. She did the laundry sometimes. Sometimes it smelled. Sometimes it didn't. Just depends on the day she had. Thank you, mother. But... I I just wanted to belong to something. What's that for you? What do you remember about growing up and wanting to belong to something, wanting to be valued, wanting to be a part of something? Um, I love um, looking at clinical research, secular clinical research, and seeing that the things that they think they've discovered, God discovered a long time ago. So I want to read you just some some stats, some quotes. Um, these, these are all from the American Psychological Association. And, and just talking about belonging and security and safety and how important it is to the, not, not just us as adults, but the development of children. It says this, um, the definition of the sense of belonging is the feeling of security and support produced by acceptance and inclusion by others, typically a certain group. Another research article said this, the sense of belonging is instinctual. We are born with the need to be close to others for protection and love. Research has shown that feeling in part of a group can lead to better mental and physical health. Isn't that interesting? For instance, individuals who feel and sense belonging experience fewer negative emotions such as sadness, loneliness, anger, and grief. When an individual is more involved in their community, their mental health typically improves. Here's some crazy stats. The lack of belonging actually, as that research article said, improves your physical health. You have a 29% chance that you'll have heart disease if you feel belonging. You have a 32% chance uh, less likely to have a stroke. You have a 30% less chance of dying in the next seven years if you feel belonging and community. Not having belonging accelerates your cognitive decline and not having belonging makes you two times more likely to die prematurely. Do you think it's a physical, physiological thing to belong? That God created us to belong, to have community, to be accepted, to be secure? He sure did. He sure did. One of the greatest human emotions um, that, that we have anxiousness over, that David's was talking about today, that we have fear over, is that fear of rejection, of being picked last, of not having community. If we're really honest, one of the reasons we actually don't create lasting friendships, we don't create real relationships, we don't even create a real relationship with God because we're afraid that someone might know actually who we are, actually how we think, and when they find out who we actually are, they'll reject us. They won't want to know us more. They won't want to be in relationship. And that's something that I think, if we're honest, the devil uses against us over and over and over again. He says to all of you sitting in this room, no, 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 don't look to the person to your left, the person to your right. Don't don't let them know who you are. No, don't go to God. If he knew actually who you really were, he wouldn't love you. And I want you to know that is a lie of the devil, and we are going to combat that this morning through the scripture and the truth of God. Here's what I want you to know this morning, straight out of Ephesians 1, 3 through 5, that we are chosen, we are adopted, and we are loved by God. Let me say that again. We are chosen, we are adopted, and we are loved by God. That's it. That's the whole sermon. It's closing prayer. (laughs) But seriously, that's it. But why would Paul, at the beginning of his letter to this little church, well, not little, it was a bigger church in Ephesus, why would he put this right at the beginning? See, sometimes we miss this. We just glance over. Yeah, God loves me. Yeah, God chooses me. Yeah, God's adopted me and his family. It's nice. It's warm sunshine and rainbows, but we don't get it. We don't live that truth out in freedom. And one of the reasons I think we don't get it is because we don't truly understand how deep and meaningful this was when Paul wrote it, what he meant, and who received it. So we're going to unpack that this morning with a little bit of painful background. Are we excited over here, young adults, for that? Thank you. Thank you. I can can always count on them to fall asleep, so that's good. So just a little about how I process Scripture It's not revolutionary, but typically when I process scripture, I want to see who the author was, what was his intent, so what did he want the audience to hear, who the audience was, and how they received it or heard it. And I think as you read scripture yourself, and I encourage you, please don't take what I say as truth. Check what I have to say against the word of God. But as you read scripture, those are a great place to start. Who was the author? What what did he want to communicate? Who is the audience And how would they have heard it and applied it to their life? And then we can take and apply it to ours, okay? So that's what we're going to do this morning. That's a simple way of putting it. So who was the author? It was the Apostle Paul. Pastor Tim went deep into this last week. But remember, the Apostle Paul was a a radical Jew before he he became, became to know Jesus who persecuted and killed Christians. So he's got a past. So if you've got a past, maybe you're in here and you've got a past, you think you've done something you can't overcome. Paul, literally the guy who wrote this letter, persecuted and killed people. But then God radically transformed him, and he becomes a missionary, the most famous missionary who planted the most churches, but God specifically tasked him to go to the Gentiles, and Gentiles are non-Jewish people. So a Jew of Jew is going to the Gentiles, and as he's writing this letter, he is in prison and eventually going to be killed for his faith. So he really believed what he's writing to you and to this church. So that's the author. Okay, who was the audience? Anybody? The Ephesians. Thank you, Miss. She was listening last week. So the, the Ephesians lived where? Ephesus, you guys are good. You guys are good. So Ephesus, Cassie throw that picture up on the screen if we have it. But Ephesus was a port city, very very, very dynamic uh, city with lots of culture. You can see that they had a big hill. there's a big amphitheater. There's huge temples to these Roman gods. There was a big Olympic stadium. They they really loved sport, um, but it, it was blustering with just so many people, so many people coming through. As Pastor Tim talked about last week, and Paul spent three years in Ephesus, the longest time he spent in any city, any church he, wherever he, where he planted so many churches. He, it was the longest time he spent in a particular city. So he knew these people, he knew this city. So his first words to them in Ephesians chapter 1 were very, very, very intentional. In fact, Paul was pretty famous there. They would have really listened to him. Acts chapter 19, this is the second passage, the second and final passage that we're going to read this morning. Acts chapter 19, verse 11, says this about Paul's time there. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. So pretty crazy things are happening in Ephesus. So that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched Paul's skin were carried away to the sick and their diseases left them and evil spirits came out of them. So this is what, what, what Paul's famous for in Ephesus. Literally, they would take his snot rag, okay? They would take his snot rag and they would go touch it to someone's skin and that person would be healed. This is Paul in Ephesus. He was a big deal. So how would they have received this message? They would have listened. They would have listened to this man. Um, Ephesus was was an interesting city. Fifty to seventy-five percent of these people were slaves that Paul touched base with for three years on a daily basis. Ephesus glorified. The human body, human perfection. They had statues all over the place of these perfect sculptures. They they glorified their Olympic athletes. It was deep in Hellenistic culture. Alexander the Great was famous uh, for coming in and, and glorifying the human body and the human uh, way of, of living. And, and that was deeply rooted in Ephesus. So to speak that you think that we face challenges of body image today? The Ephesians, they had it a whole different way. If you weren't perfect, if you, if you didn't have this incredible body, if you weren't born to incredible parents, you had no place in this city. And most of these people were slaves. In fact, it was so deeply ingrained in them that you had to be perfect that they only birthed and kept perfect babies. This is a little intense when you read this in Scripture. We don't understand, but as you unpack this, they only kept perfect babies what does that mean well I want to unpack for you out of some extra biblical sources what does that mean these means these are secular historical documents outside of the Bible but what they actually believed about the value of life I told you they valued human perfection well I showed you that picture of Ephesus and up there on the top of that hill behind that Olympic Stadium where they glorified the athlete and the human body was actually a trash dump. And how they got rid of babies that weren't valued was they would take them up to the trash dump and leave them. And that was called infecticide. It's very, very rooted in Roman culture. I know some of you guys are like, what? But it was rooted deeply in Roman culture that if you weren't perfect, you had no value. Again, this is part of how these people would have heard Paul's words, and they're gonna make it come alive to us a little bit more, but I wanna read to you. I told you I only had two passages, but we've got five other passages from extra biblical sources, so I kinda cheated and lied on that one. So this is our friend Cicero. Um, I used to go to a place called Cicero's Pizza, if you guys have ever been there. It's a California place, but this is our friend Cicero, and this was in uh, 43 BC, and he writes this. Deformed infants shall be killed. The deformity could be an unwanted child, a sickly child, a deformed child, or simply the wrong gender. Yeah. Okay, let's go Let's go see if Seneca uh, was a little different. Seneca, he's another famous guy. Was live around the time of Jesus. He says this, Mad dogs we knock on the head. A natural whatever that word is, we destroy. Thank you. We drown even children at birth who are weakly and abnormal. Can you imagine that? Aristotle, hopefully he'll save us, Aristotle. Aristotle writes a lot about this, and he says, As to exposing or rearing the the children born, let there be a law that no deformed child, child shall be reared. It gets worse, as if you didn't believe me already. This is um, this is a famous OBGYN. I know we got some doctors and some medical people in the house. But this would be the Dr. Phil, so to speak, of their time. Very famous, wrote just tons of works that people just took as, you know, you just do what this man says. And I'll just read a couple highlights. It says, she should also consider whether it is worth rearing or not. By the fact that it has been born at the due time. So... If the baby were to have been born prematurely or too late, they might not keep it. It has to immediately cry with proper vigor and also by the fact that it is perfect in all its parts. It's hard to read this and look at you guys and not be embarrassed by the human race. But this is what the church of Ephesus was living in this is who Paul was writing to. This is the audience that he was communicating with. And they would have also known about the trash dump on the top of the hill where thousands upon thousands of babies were left daily to be exposed to the natural elements and die. And sometimes at the top of that trash hill, instead of them being exposed to the elements and dying, the slave traders would come. Remember I told you, that 50 to 75% of Ephesus were slaves. So slave traders would come, and they would take those babies and sentence them to a life of slavery. Zach, I was coming to church this morning in the summer to hear some good news. This isn't good news. So when we read Ephesians Chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. We need to read it with the lens of the Ephesian people and the heart of the Apostle Paul, who loved these people. You see, he was very intentional, and I'll read it again for you, where he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Remember, these are slaves hearing these words, they would not think they were blessed. You think you've had a rough week? Try having their rough life. No hope, no future, no name, no family. Verse four, even as he chose us in him, they they would be thinking wait, Zach, we weren't chosen? We were left at the top of the hill. You chose, he chose you before the foundation of the world that you should be holy and blameless before him in love. We just brush over that, word in lo- that phrase in love. But these people weren't loved. They were hated by their masters. But in love God chose them and predestined them for adoption to himself as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. You see, Paul knew the Ephesian people, very, very well. He would have walked by that trash dump almost on a daily basis and seen those babies there almost on a daily basis. He would have rubbed shoulders with those slaves who were in that trash dump on a daily basis. That was who made up the church. You see, he also knew that in Roman law, Roman law, that the father had the power of life and death. See, the father was not a loving person in, in, in Roman culture. The, he, was, he was a commander. So if you were a child, male or female, in Rome, and your dad just simply didn't like what you were doing, guess what he could do? He could sentence you. to. I'm not making this up. You can check my sources. Young adults were almost done with painful background, okay? But we were not making this up. In Roman law, Your your biological father could take away your inheritance, could take away your name, could take away your job, could take away everything that you could ever have and leave you with nothing. So there were those people too. But here's the crazy part about when Paul says that these slaves have been adopted. Adoption is incredible. I'll tell a little bit about my story of adoption in a little bit. I know we've got several people in here who have fostered and adopted children, and God bless you and thank you. In, in Roman law, it was very significant, that word adoption. Very, very, more significant than, than for us today. In Roman law, if a father adopted a child, that child could never be disowned. That child could never be uh, have his family name taken away. That child could never have his inheritance taken away. He was permanently secure in that family. That was the law. You could do anything you wanted to a biological kid. But in Roman law, if you were an adopted son or daughter, you had permanency, you had security, you had safety, you had inheritance. Think think of the Ephesian people reading verse five of Ephesians chapter one. You have been adopted in love by God. You are permanently his sons and daughters, you could never be disowned. You could never lose your inheritance that you didn't think you had, but you have. They would have—they would have been. Their jaws would have been on the floor. They would say, "Paul, wait, say that again." Wait, say that a third time. And that's why Paul says it so many times throughout the book of Ephesians because they—they pro- need to hear it so many times before they actually believe it. Because they would have been thinking, I'm a slave. I've got no identity. I've got no home. I've got no purpose. I've got no inheritance. I have nothing. How could this be true, Paul? How could I be chosen, adopted, and loved by God? Because it doesn't feel that way sometimes. You're telling me the God who created all of this loves me? Nobody loves me. it would have been earth-shattering news to these men and women that they were chosen and adopted and loved by God. And I hope today for us, it's, it's earth-shattering news. See, I think a lot of times we, we feel like there's, some, there's there's a threshold of sin or mistakes or choices that we can make that would somehow make our earthly parents And our Heavenly Father stopped loving us. Be honest with yourself. I know this is true in my life. There's, There's this threshold where I'm going, if I do enough bad or if I make enough poor choices or if I don't succeed enough, that my mom or dad might not love me. I look at this with my son, little Hezekiah. By the way, he's running around with a Raider jersey on today, and hopefully there's a little sense of belonging there for him to that. It's good. It's good. How could you boo a cute little kid? I don't get that. Anyways, Richard, I'll come deal with you later. But, but my son, we're in this phase at two and three that um, is good. Um, pray for us. But he's getting this personality where he's making choices. He's cognitively aware of the choices he's making. At one and two, like Everly just goes up and eats like dirt or grass or opens the cabinets and breaks things. Doesn't, she doesn't know, but Kai knows. Kai knows. Kai knows what he's doing. And he'll look at us before he does something bad. He'll look over. You going to say something, Dad? You going to say something? Hezekiah, please don't do that. What does he do? Does it anyway. And I, I just think, I just as I watch him do it, he doesn't say this out loud, but he's just going, Dad, if I do this, will you still love me? Am I still your son? Am I still able to be called by your name? And again, these are thoughts that he might not be even thinking, but I think are innately ingrained into who we are as human beings. That we're trying to see if there's a threshold of God's love or of human love for us. And what Paul is trying to communicate here is guess what? As an adopted child of the one true king, there's nothing you can do to make him stop loving you. Let me say that again. As an adopted child of the one true king, there is not one thing or a multitude of things that you can do to make him stop loving you, to make him disown you, to make him not be proud of you, to make him uh, remove your inheritance, to make him disown you. On your worst day, he loves you the same. When I tuck um, Hezekiah in at night, I tell him, I love you the most, and I love you the same, no matter what you do. Because I'll tell you what, growing up, as awesome as my parents' love for me was, I still doubted. And that paradigm is what we take to God the Father, and we think there's this threshold of love that we can have. And for some of us who have been following Jesus for a while, if you're in here and you've been following Jesus for a while, you're like, you're still dealing with the same stuff you were 20 years ago. Anybody? That's me. Same sin, same challenges, same lack of faith. God, I mean, eventually one of these times when I do the same thing again, you're going to stop loving me, right? No. It doesn't change. It doesn't disown us. You know, this idea of being adopted it really came alive to me. In fact, I'll, I'll confess to you, I've preached this sermon four times. And I started my first ever time preaching this sermon 12 years ago. And 12 years ago, my, my, um, my stepdad was diagnosed with lung cancer, and it was, it was a tough season for us. And the reason it was so tough was at 10 years old, my biological dad, he gave me up so that my mom could have full custody of me. Now, there's a lot of circumstances behind that. I've, I've made peace with uh, my, that with my biological dad and forgiven him, and we, we had a great relationship here for the last four or five years. But for 16 years, we did not speak. And my stepdad, who I call dad, he wasn't a Christian When at 10 years old, he said, that's my son. I choose him. I want him. I make it legal. Went to the courthouse and took his last name. He changed my name. God does that for us too. He changes our name just like he did for Peter and just like he did for Paul. He changes our name, gives us a new meaning in our name, a new character. And my stepdad did that for me. And you'd think that when he did that for me, I would have been this awesome son, right? I would have been the best son ever. But I remember sitting there with him at, was I getting ready to preach this sermon, and sharing with him how sorry I was because I was (laughs) the worst step-adopted son ever. I never thanked him. I, I always wanted my biological mom and dad to be back together. I never truly respected him. I never valued him. I made his life hard. I was very obstinate, very angry. He coached all my little league teams. He coached all my basketball teams. He was at every event you could ever imagine. He was the most present father ever. He had his imperfections, but he loved me. I tried to get him to disown me. He loved me, and I remember going to him and saying, Dad, I am so sorry. It was at uh, Original House of Pancakes on Oso Road in Meerlands. And for the California people that live in Southern California, maybe you know where that is, but I can remember the very place, the very table, the very thing I ordered. It was an egg white omelet. I mean, I tell you, I can remember it. Because I looked at him with this realization and said, Dad, I'm sorry. And I just wonder how many of us today need to do some self-reflecting And realize that the same way that I treated my dad, we treat God. We don't understand how much he truly loves us, how much he truly chooses us, how we continually disrespect, spit in his face, choose not to love back. And yet, our God keeps loving us. Just like my stepdad kept loving me. I'm sure there were moments where he didn't want to love me because he's not perfect. He's not God. But how many of us do that to our Jesus, to our God? This passage has deep meaning for me. And I hope today it has deep meaning for you because. When he writes in here that we are chosen, adopted, and loved by God, here's here's the picture that Paul is trying to communicate to the people in Ephesus, to the slaves. He's saying, slave with no identity, no purpose, no inheritance, no hope, no future. Slave that was left at the top of the hill in the trash heap. I'm going to send my son Jesus to die in your place, to purchase you out of slavery, to take you out of the trash heap. I'm sending Jesus to the top of that hill to purchase you out of that trash heap to purchase you out of slavery. And I am going to not only do that to rescue you from slavery, that would be good enough, but no, I'm going to give you a name, I'm going to give you a future, I'm going to give you an inheritance, I'm going to give you a hope, I'm going to give you every blessing you could ever imagine, not because you will do anything, but in fact, you will reject me, you will disown me, you will spit in my face, but I will keep adopting you, I will keep loving you, and I will keep choosing you for the rest of your life. That's what Paul's saying. That is the truth that they got to experience. And it's the same truth that we get to experience every moment of every day. So it's not just an intro to Ephesians chapter one that Paul's just throwing some nice cute adoption love and chosen words in. It's a very deep Deep, meaningful choice of words from a man who loved these people. So what do we do about it? What are we gonna do with this truth? We have choice. We can either embrace it and live in it and respond to that love and that choice or we can just ignore it. At 10 years old, I ignored that choice by my stepfather, that act of love, that continual act of love for the next 14 years until at 24, I finally realized. And if I'm honest with you this morning, at 35 years old, man, I'm getting old. Wow. At 35 years old, I've been following Jesus or trying to follow Jesus for 28 years. And as it was randomly selected that I would preach this passage by our preaching team, it wasn't like I sign me up for this passage. I just wonder if God was going, Zach, you need to hear this again. You gotta study this for a couple weeks and sit in it. And I wonder if he's just telling you today, hey, son, hey, daughter. Did you know this? Can I tell you this again? that I love you, that you don't need to fear, that there's nothing you can do to make me stop loving you, and out of that love, could you live in freedom for me? There's this quote by John Bunyan, famous theologian. He says, if people really see that Christ has removed the fear of punishment from them by taking it on himself, they won't do whatever they want. They'll do whatever he wants. See, a lot of people... Think that God's this cosmic cop up there, God the Father, and he's, he's given you a Corvette or whatever race car. David likes cars, so um, pick a car, David, I don't know. Mustang, and um, he's given us this fast, speedy, awesome car. Our Brant over there likes, likes bikes, so maybe Brant, Harley, or whatever. And he's given us this awesome toy, and he goes, But don't use it. You can only go 25 miles an hour, it's a school zone. And he's sitting there with the radar gun and he's just waiting for you to make a mistake. If we're honest, sometimes that's how we view God. And what what John is saying here is that's not true. He's saying he's removed the fear of failure, he's removed the fear of sin, he's removed the fear of mistake, and that you don't have to live in that. You can live in freedom and truth that your God is for you, not against you. That he's not just sitting there waiting for you to make a mistake, he's waiting for you to get it right. He's doing everything he can in your life for you to see how much he loves you. He's telling you the story like he did the church of Ephesus uniquely into your life through the, the events of your life that he has loves you. He chooses you. He rescues you. He delivers you out of whatever you're struggling with. And even if you do it again, he's going to love you the same. And that love and that choice and that adoption is what makes us want to love him back. but it's only when we sit and reflect and actually process who we are, what we've done, what we struggle with and we truly reflect on who he is and what he's done and what he keeps doing that our lives change. And I think that's why God had me preach this sermon for the fourth time in 3 years or in 12 years. You see this is what I know. God wants the intimacy and security of sons and daughters, not the service of slaves. He wants the intimacy and security of sons and daughters and not the service of slaves. You see, grace and love create the desire to please. So as we wrap up this morning and process this truth, I hope this just starts a conversation between you and God. To really sit and reflect on who you are, what you've done, and who he is, and what he has done and keeps on doing. And for those of us that have been following Jesus for a while, I hope it changes us. I hope it changes me. And for those of you that might be new to following Jesus, or maybe you're deciding if you want to follow Jesus, I just want you to know this is the God. This is why we sing, and why we cry, and why we raise our hands, and why we why we spend time here on a Sunday morning is because this is the God that we serve. This is the God we call Savior and Father and King, and he's good. And if you want to start that relationship, there's so many people sitting around you that love to talk to you. Let's pray. God, you're good. We do not deserve the things that we just read. God, we do not deserve your love. We do not deserve you to choose us we do not deserve you to adopt us god but you do and you call us your sons and daughters god and i just beg you please god in my heart to let that resonate deep inside me that i may live differently that i may love differently that i may be able to cast fear and anxiety away because i'm a child of the one true king who commands heaven's armies who has the whole world in his hand who orchestrates everything together for my good who has given me every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, God, who has given me a permanent inheritance, a permanent security. Just may I live differently, God, because of that. Work on my heart and our hearts. And we live out of the freedom of your choice, your love, and your adoption. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening to this message from River Valley Church. Do you know someone who would be encouraged by it? make sure to share it with them this week. Again, for more content from us, please check out our website at rivervalleyboise.com.